Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year, for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now, and you can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Natalia Petzella is the author of Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession. This was guest hosted by Julie Chavez, who is the podcast host of Zivi Audio Show, Ask a Librarian, and the author of an upcoming Zivi Books title. Natalia Melman Petzella is a historian of contemporary American politics and culture. She is the author of Classroom Wars, Language, Sex, and the Making of Modern Political Culture, and Fit Nation, which I just discussed. She is co-producer and host of the acclaimed podcast, Welcome to Your Fantasy, from Pineapple Street Studios, Gimlet, and the co-host of Past Present Podcast. She's a columnist at The Observer and a frequent media guest expert, public speaker, and contributor to outlets, including The New York Times, The Washington Post, CNN, and The Atlantic 
She is an associate professor of history at the New School, co-founder of the wellness education program Health Class 2.0, and a premier leader of the mind-body practice Intensati. Her work has been supported by the Spencer, Whiting, Rockefeller, and Mellon Foundations. She holds a BA from Columbia and a PhD from Stanford and lives with her husband and two children in New York City. And by the way, I used to take those intensity classes and that is just so crazy back when I had some time. Natalia, thank you for being here on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We are here today to talk about Fit Nation, the gains and pains of America's exercise obsession. That's right. (laughs) And I'm so excited to talk to you about this book. I was really impressed. Would you mind just starting? Just tell me about the book. Sure. So I should say I am like a big fitness nut, but I'm also a historian. And so this book is the intersection of those things. And it really started from my questioning of all these gym environments that I was always around. Like, how did we get here? And so in a nutshell, the book tells the story of how we got here. It starts in a time when like nobody, very few people worked out. Like you're literally considered like a freak, like on the stage at the freak show, if you worked out to today, when still only 20% of people people get the recommended daily minimum of exercise, but everybody feels like they should work out. And so I trace that history from like the 19th century to like Peloton and the pandemic of how that idea came to be really part of American culture and why it's still so, why the actual exercising part still is something that so few of us do. Yes. I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was so well-written, so well-researched. And yes, I didn't realize originally when I picked it up that you were an historian and historian, Mm -hmm. a historian. I never get that right. I say a historian, but like people who are fancier than I do often say an historian, (laughs) but you are, whatever you say is okay with me. (laughs) Perfect. I appreciate that space for me. But yes, when I picked it up, I just was amazed at the breadth of your research. So you did such a good job. And it was like taking a trip down just the rabbit hole too, for me personally, of all the exercises I've done through the years. I thought about doing Taibo in the basement, right? When I was in college and just all of these weird things that we've done. I wanted to start. So it sounds like for you, a lot started with really, you are an activist. I mean, it feels like that's kind of the origins when you talk about starting as a middle school Spanish teacher and sort of... So can you talk about those origins a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't want to make too much of my activism, but I think to the extent like that I really care about making the world a better place and about doing work that advances that progress... Absolutely. Yes. I'm an activist. And I think in some ways, like that looks like what we often think of as activism. Like when schools were closed, I was at city hall, like talking about the necessity for kids to be in school or like with this topic, part of what got me into writing this as a historical work was seeing really what I call like fitness inequality and actually starting a program where my college students would learn about the history of where this came from. But also we created an experiential wellness program to do in PE classes in school. 
schools. And so we worked with the New York City Department of Education to do that. So there's that kind of like more formal activism. But then in general, like I feel like being like an ambassador for asking smart questions about how did we get here and encouraging people to ask those questions, not just about like a war or, you know, a policy, but the things that we don't often historicize, like the gym or how we eat or how we shop or how we raise our children. Like I do feel that that's a form of activism because I think the world would be a better place if more people were asking and answering those kind of questions. That's such a good way to put it because you're right. By thinking critically about that, then you're informing so much of what decisions we choose to make today. Yeah. I mean, that's my hope. Yeah. Yes. I love that. And I was listening to one of your other podcasts. I was listening to Past Present, which also, by the way, I will be listening to Welcome to Your Fantasy ASAP because it sounds amazing. (laughs) It's a very juicy one. Yes. I cannot wait. But and past present when one of the things you guys were talking about is using hindsight to make it foresight. And that feels exactly like what you've done here, where I feel like by tracing all of that, you do realize how many ups and downs and how much of the cultural messaging has seeped into this, this thing that we absorb, which is just trying to be healthy. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like how the definition of health has changed over time and how we've thought like some people deserve to be healthy in a particular kind of way, others in a different kind of way. What does the ideal healthy body look like? Like all of those things for sure. And it's funny you say that. Thank you for listening to Past Present, oh, by the way. Of course. It's wonderful. Just for today, we recorded, I think, episode 371. So we've like been at it for a long time. But it's funny with that tagline, like turning hindsight into foresight, because one thing that we've thought of over the years is maybe we should have been a little more modest of just turning hindsight into insight. Like that would be enough if we were just a little more insightful. We don't need to predict the future. Let's just think about where we are right now. You know, like that would be enough. (laughs) But I like the idea of foresight because it it imagines a bit of intention behind it, right? That we are creating the reality as we live it. Right. Like we're not just victims of the past or like passive, you know, individuals like bound up in the tides of history or whatever. (laughs) Like we can actually shape the future. And like, that's something that like really gets me up every day. Like I'm a college professor. That's how I spend most of my time. And like, you know, going to class and realizing, okay, well, yes, my like charge is to educate these kids and teach them about the past and also like how complicated and ugly it often is. But I'm really falling down on the job if I don't like inspire them in some way to take that knowledge and to feel like they can change the future. Like if all they feel is disempowered by their education, like I'm not doing my job right, you know? Yes. So, and this book is like a part of a project like that. Like I, you know, people are like, oh, cute, the gym, leg warmers. And there are leg warmers in this uh, story and a lot of like funny kind of vintagey kind of things, as you know. But, you know, I also think it is a kind of serious story about who we have said like deserves to work on their body, deserves to feel good, like why we've made exercise basically a consumer good that you can only have if you afford it and like cup PE and all those things. Like to me, those seem like really important questions, not just like, oh, cute, like vintage, like workout trends from the past, even though I love those videos and there is oh. there are aspects of this book that, ha- that are that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and what you're saying there is so true where I loved looking at the advertisements that you would include it. I love that the book had pictures. So that oh, was exciting. And yeah, that really helped me kind of frame some of it too, because you see it as dated and you think of the idea as dated, but then you think of all of the things that have been pervasive from those ideas that have lasted. 
Right. And like, that's one of the things that's so cool as a historian, right? And about this particular topic, like now we take it so for granted that like, oh, the mind-body connection is everywhere. And if you have a white collar job, there's going to be a gym at your office. And what do you do to socialize on the weekend? Oh, maybe you'll do a 5K. Like all of those things are relatively recent, right? And they were deliberately constructed for particular reasons. And so it was so fun to go back and kind of like unpack how that happened. And like, when you talk about the images, like, yeah, and I know you probably have a lot of writers who listen, like negotiate images in your contract. Like they're expensive. And like, if you're writing this kind of book, they're so great. Um, But like one of the things that I use in there is like some pictures from the Presidential Council on Fitness. It's like changed its name a few times, right? And and those ads tell a story of a thousand words with like each picture. Like they start off being about like guys getting fat and like the military. And by the seventies, it's like a girl in a pool. Physical fitness is beautiful. And it's like, whoa, that is a shift in what the government is promoting, you know, in terms of like why we should exercise and who should. And I never even thought about the government's role in it. I mean, I definitely think about it as a product. And of course I grew up in the presidential fitness award days. I mean, and I, could never climb a rope. So that was me neither for me. Traumatizing, like (laughs) trauma. Totally. Never. I still think about that. If I see a rope hanging, I'm like, well, that's just one thing that's never going to happen for me. So totally. They retired that by the way. They don't like not that long ago. That was, I think it was like 2013. They retired that. That's a long time that they were traumatizing those kids. hundred (laughs) percent. Totally. (laughs) Climb this rope. Yeah. But it is amazing to think about how, like you said, what we remember and what we know is such a a small slice and seeing yeah. all of the things that led up to that. I mean, even in your book, I kept thinking, wow, we're only in the 1960s and right. this is still sort of developing. I think something you talked about was the destructive dynamics of some of the things, the messaging around exercise. Will you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So there are, depending on the moment, there are different destructive dynamics, but like one of the interesting ones, which I think is really still with us today is like, you know, uh, the dynamic that's not totally destructive. Like, I think we look back today and we see some of these things that are like, get as tiny as possible or like take this pill or starve yourself. And it's pretty obvious that this is like very damaging messaging. But One of the things that I found so interesting was watching some of the programming from the 1950s and 60s directed towards women. And like, let me tell you, it was not common for women to exercise then. So Mm -hmm. there was something actually really, I think, wonderful and radical about people like Jack LaLanne on television saying like, ladies, set aside your ironing and come do some leg lifts with me. And he talked about it as this like empower, not quite empowering, but like, you know, like gratifying kind of enlightening thing, like exercise will make you feel regenerated and youthful and like take this time. And I think that is cool because I think being in your body and putting aside your housework and taking time for yourself to do that, that was really a big deal. Okay. At the same time, if you watch like hundreds of those episodes as I did, you pretty clearly hear the subtext, which I think is still with us today, which is like, if you feel old and fat and disgusting, you have nobody to blame but yourself. Because if you just did these exercises, if you just disciplined yourself around food, if you just took the time to care about yourself, then you would be forever youthful and attractive and all the rest. And like, to me, that like mixed bag is so much still with us in like every exercise 
exercise program. Like I often walk into like, I don't know, some spin class and I'm like, all right, they're like really empowering things about this, but there's also a sense of like, oh my God, another item on the to-do list. Like not only do I have to go to work and schedule my kids stuff, got to take care of my body, got to make sure I don't look my age, God forbid. And that's yes. like- yeah. And so I think that's sort of, I think that is a pretty destructive expectation, unfortunately, that comes with an expectation I generally love, which is like, yeah, women should feel good getting strong and being in their body and coming together and spending time and money on exercise. So yeah, I would say that's one that is like very powerful in the story. It is. And you are exactly right that that's still with us. It's just that really like shadow side that still exists. Yeah. And and also, I mean, especially for women, we can't escape the look better, look younger, you know, machine complex that exists in every area of life, it feels like. So then to have it an exercise, and I even have that, when I was telling you before we started recording, I was like, we're going to get into my issues. This Let's is one of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm an exerciser. I love exercising. I need that release because for me, it's a time to turn off my brain. I live too much inside my head at times. And so me too. it's- getting into my body, which is a wonderful thing. However, there are times where I get it twisted. And so I have benchmarks that I'm failing to meet or meeting, but they don't really have to do with, am I in my body? Am I moving? Am I doing things that feel good? It's more, was that intense enough? Was I, you know, how how many kilojoules did I, I'm on my Peloton right. like a lunatic, you know, and yeah. things like that. So it's just... It's so hard to untie some of that. And I'm so glad that we're seeing a little bit more of that. But reading this, I was like, gosh, we are doomed from the start here. I mean... It's complicated. And yeah, I I mean, I appreciate your openness. I deal with many of the same dynamics myself, you know, and I, and I think there's also a piece that a lot of us experience too, where like, there's so much moralizing about exercise in the body in general, right? I'm so good. I'm working. Like, you know, I care about health. Like I'm spending a lot of money maybe, but it's for this virtuous thing. And then of course the assumptions that come with people who maybe look like they don't do that or who don't do that of like, oh, they're lazy or like, can you believe, you know? And I think that that is a real problem, but identifying some of these dynamics is probably like, you know, the first step. The first step. Here we go. Right. It's so true. I think the thing you were talking about too, when you were talking about the Jack LaLanne and the yeah. the idea that in those days too, that it was reducing this idea mm. of reduction for women and just the use of that word, yeah. that taking up less space kind of metaphorically too. And that it could be passive. So I think some of those still lasting into it, that it should almost be effortless, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I'm like cutting you. I don't know if anyone no. will see this video, but we're like jumping on each other to talk. Yes. So yes, like two things that you say there. So one of the things that like, exercise for women or for ladies, because I should say this is mostly targeted at white women who have some disposable income. Like this is not, you know, we've even grappled with this today, but certainly until almost like the 80s, like you are all, no, that's not true. The 70s probably, you're not really seeing exercise marketed towards working class women or towards black women or women of color. Um, Not that they're not doing their own things, but it's like the mainstream industry is very white and presumes like a degree of affluence. But um, yeah, like you were saying, first of like this notion that you should be passive and that like women should ideally inherently be like frail and ladylike. I mean, you 
you see, we were talking about the ads, like, you know, there were all these reducing salons and they literally would say like, relax in luxurious comfort, like no sweating. And the idea was you should be working on your body, but like, you shouldn't be like grunting like an animal or building muscles like a man. Like that's unladylike as a behavior, but it can also like uh, compromise your femininity by your fertility. It can give you muscles. Like we don't want any of that stuff, but yeah. So that I think is not so much with us anymore. Don't you think? Agreed. Yeah. Yes, I do. Like there is like go hard, like, you know, women can do that. But the other thing that you said about reducing, like to me, it's interesting because that language is not with us so much, at least in like the LA, New York scene, like still go on, like not so elite, like social media. And there's a lot of before and after and like drop 20 pounds in a month and all that. But that's not the dominant talk. But what I think is really hard is that I still think that's what a lot of people are selling and what a lot of people are buying. And so while in some ways, it's like great that we have this more evolved discourse about self-care and getting strong and feeling good. Like if you listen to the whispers, a lot of people are still like, I just want to lose weight. And I think that like we get in some ways, it's a huge problem because it makes it harder to detect sort of disordered, destructive patterns, but also it like shames people for wanting to lose weight. Some like I sometimes want to lose five pounds. I this is okay. Like I feel better when I'm a particular weight or like, you know, and I eat a particular way and like that's okay. So some of this like new language is progress, but can like prevent us from having a more honest conversation, I think. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That makes sense. It's sort of a swing of the pendulum that goes too far. Yeah, so, yeah. Right? We yeah. can't talk about that anymore, so we're just going to talk about this other side. But really, that side still had some value to it Yeah, if we're being honest about it. Right. And it's still with us. A lot of people still yes. want to lose weight. And like for that's good. That 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 is not all bad or all good. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's easy to oversimplify it. Yeah. Where would you say we are right now? Where do you think we're headed with fitness? 
what would you like to see ideally? I know you're an instructor also. And so I'd love to hear about that. Tell me a little bit about it. Okay. So yeah, I'll tell you about that first. So um, I, like you, was traumatized in PE class by the rope climb. But for (laughs) me, like everything, even like pulling myself up on the bleachers, I was like too weak to do. So I like hated everything physical. But to get out of PE class, I found out you could do an independent study. And I found a group fitness class, Step Aerobics in 1995, I think. And I just fell in love with group fitness. And so like long story short, since that happened, I just always gravitated toward those environments. As a feminist, I was like, once that was part of my life in my 20s, I was ambivalent about all the like, blast your thighs, whittle your waist, you know, Memorial Day's around the corner. But like almost as a guilty pleasure, I'm like, but it's so fun. Like, I love this <laughs> dancing. I love the music. I kind of hate the language, but it's so fun. Um, and so uh, when I was, it was 2005 and I was actually doing my PhD out at Stanford, but I was dissertating from New- in New York and I joined Equinox Gym. I met this amazing woman, my mentor. The book is dedicated to her. She's passed last year, sadly. And um, her name is Patricia Moreno. And she had just started this class called Intensati, which combined positive affirmations with like really big movements. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm home. It's the fun and the energy and the rigor. It's really hard. But with this like really empowering language where we're not talking about weight loss or anything, but honestly, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm like ripped and like strong and all of this. And um, so she was uh, certifying instructors and she's like, why don't you do it? And it's so funny. We get in our head. We were talking about, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm getting a PhD at Stanford. Like, no, 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 I'm not going to be an instructor, (laughs) even though this is like my favorite thing in the world. And she was like, no, yeah, it's like just do the training and then before long, I was teaching at Equinox. I was a Lululemon ambassador. And yeah, now I don't teach as much, but I'm teaching tonight in Bridgehampton at Athleta. And uh, yeah, it's Fun. just, um, I, I really, it's an important part of my life. It really, I love it. That's so great that you were able to dovetail those things yeah. for this book and kind of see parts of it. But I love that idea that there is, because I agree with you, group fitness is my jam because it's a way to turn off my brain even further because I'm just being told what to do. But yes, it needs to be challenging enough to enjoy it. All these kind of marks that you have set. So it sounds like that's perfect. I need to find a class around here. There's got to be one. I'm in Northern California. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, it's so funny. I'll be there this week. I was going to teach and then it didn't happen, but we'll help you find one. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Thanks. (laughs) We're meeting all my needs in this conversation. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. Very efficient. Did you think you were going to be interviewed? No, we're Uh, just talking about (laughs) my problems. I love it. I really... I think one of the main things that I loved about your book was, you know, and you said it at the very end, you can't, we talk about, you can't out-exercise a bad diet, even though I've had times in my life where I've tried, but you can't out-exercise a broken system. And that I think is such a powerful message here. And you spoke about it earlier that fitness still in our country is very, it's so tied into a product that it's inaccessible for a lot of people. What's what do you see as a solution for that? Or how do we move forward from here with that? Yeah, that gets to your previous question about the future too. So yes. I think the first thing is what you're alluding to. Like this book is about fitness, but we can't understand or solve fitness inequality until we understand how intimately and intricately it is intertwined with all these other areas that we are more familiar with in terms of talking about inequality. For example, like, you know, if you don't live in a safe neighborhood, then you can't go out and go for a run. 
that is not just in terms of crime, but it's about lighting. It's about green spaces, which bring the temperature down so you can run more or walk, you know, more days a year. It's about the body that you're in. Obviously, as women, we face particular challenges of like, I I don't know exactly where you are, but I live in a pretty safe area and I won't run after dark or when it's dark in the morning. Like, no way, right? And then if you're a person Mm -hmm. of color, that takes on a whole other set of issues. Similarly, like think about labor. Like I work my butt off, but I have a lot of control over my time, you know? And if I were shift labor or had to commute because I can't afford to live near where I work, guess what? There goes my workout time. If I didn't have safe childcare, you know, if I went to a school growing up, which I kind of did, but um, that like didn't have, that didn't introduce me to exercise in a way that made me want to do it rather than traumatize me, all of those things stack against you, you know? So like, oh, if you only can afford to eat unhealthful food, then you're not going to feel good to be able to bring this stuff into your life. So, you know, people like say things like, oh, do we need like more free gym memberships? And I'm like, yes. And like, it would be great if we had more, like, I think it is good that the lower end of the fitness uh, uh, market is really opening up and that we have all of these low cost options. There's obviously a lot of online stuff, but like that said, like, you know, the less control you have over your time, your spending, your life, the less likely it is you're going to be able to bring exercise into it. And so I both advocate for this kind of like laser view of like exercise is something worth looking at, but also reminding people it's like very embedded in all these other things. And, you know, people get mad sometimes when I say that because, you know, we, we're very individualistic in the United States, but I I think also yes. exercise in particular, because people are like, come on, like just get off the couch and go for a run. Anyone can do that. All you need is sneakers. On some level, of course, that's true. Without personal motivation, you can't do it anything and anyone can do push-ups and any like not anyone there's the questions of ability but you can it takes motivation that said that motivation is situated in so many other things that become so much easier to navigate if you have money education space in your home etc so i'm constantly trying to like you know be inspiring like yeah get up let's go for a run like that's great you can do it too and also like i get it you're not a failure if you aren't, cannot, or choose not to do this. So that's one thing. And then in terms of what I'd like to see, I mean, I would love for us to look back on this moment and the low, low participation in, you know, exercise and the like crappy investment in PE and the total lack of policy that brings together private and public in this realm. And I would love for us to look at that as like when everybody was like smoking in classrooms or had no seatbelts. And we're like, can we believe that? Like what kind of society would do that? And like, I I think that would be great. And, you know, I do think, you know, my first book was about the culture wars. So like the things that people disagree on. Everyone agrees exercise is good for you for the most part. I don't care what your politics are. I mean, I do care, but like that is pretty much a consensus position, yet our policy has not caught up with that perspective. And so we don't yet have those policies to actually make access and participation to exercise really a national priority or reality. So that's I where I would love to love see us go. That vision. That is perfection. And you're so right. The smoking in classrooms, just whenever we go on an airplane, I still tell my kids, I'm like, people used to smoke on airplanes. That was a thing that happened. I know. Totally. And just the idea. And now we think, what? I know. And I remember even when my kids were little, I feel like the planes were still around that had the ashtrays in the seats. Maybe like we weren't smoking there anymore. I was never, I was a baby when that happened, but I think some of those planes were still in circulation. Like what's this mom, you know? The ashtray or the cigarette lighter in the car. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, I was looking at my old pottery from camp and my kids were like, what's this? And I'm like, 
I made my grandmother an ashtray, like in <laughs> ceramics, like when I was like eight, like, and that was totally normal because she'd sit there like chain smoking, talking to me and the counselor's <laughs> like, oh, seems wholesome. You're like, <laughs> this is a great idea. Ashtray. Perfect. It's a nice <sighs> shape. We'll be able to get that done yeah. real quick. Mm-hmm. Right. Gosh, right. It's so true how times change and how we can use that to springboard us forward. And you're right. In terms of the things that we're talking about with policies, this should be a really easy agreement. It's not hard. It's not hard. Unfortunately, I am cautiously optimistic, but you know, I can think of a million reasons on both sides of the aisle that things get dismissed. So invite me to the White House, Joe Biden. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. What do you mean? I find our government to be so effective and things just seem to get done so seamlessly. I don't know. All the time. A (laughs) really functional functional system. (laughs) It's so true. Here's a question. What is your least favorite form of movement or exercise? What do you hate to do? Oh, that's a good question. I don't like sprinting. I'll say that at all. Like I do distance running. I really dislike sprinting. I also hate um, group exercise classes that are either too easy or totally out of sync. Like that feeling of being trapped in the room and it's like chit chat and all that I hate. But then also the room of people where they're not on the beat and like, it's just like maddening. I'm too type A for that. (laughs) (laughs) I can fully appreciate both of those. It's so How about you? How about you? What do I hate? You know, there's not a ton, but yeah, people not being on beat and stuff. I go to my bar method over here, which oh, I really nice. enjoy, just low impact. But yeah. again, one of those kind of both and sort of situations where I enjoy it, but I wish that it were maybe more accessible for more people because it is right. a little on the spendy side. But I don't really like Pilates. It hurts my neck. I don't like Pilates very much either, but I've always thought that Pilates is like very good for a different kind of body type than me. <laughs> like, yes. I don't know. Yeah. You're so right. That's a that's a good point, right? One man's uh, pain is another man's pleasure right. kind of situation or one woman in this case. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, I just, Pilates is tricky for me, but most things I pretty much like. I only run when chased now. Right. I used to run distance, but I mean, I now my kids run. I basically always feel better when I move. Like, so I'm like, I'll do whatever. Take me to some weird gimmicky thing. Like, I'll try it. I'll feel better than if I was sitting at my computer, which is what I do most of the time, you know? It's so true. And even if it is sort of a disaster and it annoys you, then you have something to talk about later. (laughs) Right? <laughs> exactly. Like, well, I always say that. So the class I teach in Tensati is weird because you're like yelling affirmations. And I'm always like, you guys, at worst, you will have sweated a lot and you'll have like a good story to tell your friends about this crazy <laughs> class you took. <laughs> That's so my jam. I love it. You got to come next I, time you're here. I'm going to make it happen. I'm sure I'll be on on the other side. What are you writing right now? Are you working on something? Right now, ironically, I am late on a review essay, which is reviewing a few books, which are actually like questioning hustle culture and like celebrating kind of like, you know, saving time for yourself. And so I owe this big essay, which ironically, I'm like behind. So I'm like, maybe I should be chill because this is what these books are teaching me. But the editor is not going to be so chill. So I'm working on that right now. And then, um, you know, I'm like not rushing into the next book project, but my co-host of Past Present, one of them, Neil J. Young and I, we actually have plans to co-write a new history of the Hamptons. So Eastern Long Island um, from the perspective of 20th century and in a very different way than it's ever been written about before. So that's the next book project. <laughs> I cannot wait to read that. I have never been to the Hamptons. I know nothing you about the come. Hamptons. I'm going to, I have a lot of things to do now after this conversation. Yeah. I'm going to be very busy. But here's the thing, but you've heard of the Hamptons, right? Of course. 
Right. So that's kind of like what we, one of the things we want to trace is like how the Hamptons became an idea and like how much, what that idea is and how much it coheres or not with their lived experience and reality there, that it's not just celebrity mansions. Like there's an amazing immigration story. The politics are super interesting. So yeah, we, uh, we're really excited to dive into that. I can't wait. That sounds really fascinating. Oh, I'm psyched. Well, Natalia, this was an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you. This has been great. Likewise. I loved it. I want to like go meet you and work out together. (laughs) Yes. Oh, let's put it on the schedule. I'm here for it. But we're not climbing any ropes. That's fine with me. And maybe not Pilates (laughs) either. Perfect. We'll just just cross those off and we could maybe go watch people do those and cheer them on. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 